In this week's update, so many barriers to a critical mineral supply response, how the local economy and market is poised, and gold continues to struggle for traction. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is General Advice Only, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Okay, let's start with the normal market perspective. Um, there's been, obviously, a massive amount of discussion and media attention given to the energy transition but I think uh, a lot of people's expectations are that it's going to happen more easily and faster and simpler just by you know putting all the, the pieces together. <clears throat> and what I want to do is just provide a perspective on, I think, the, the realistic expectations that, that we should have around this energy transition. And most importantly, what that means for commodity prices and um, and then, of course, the opportunity for investors. So the first thing is that, and this is by no means a, a definitive list, but these are the obvious um, factors uh, in this equation. The investment in, in new large-scale exploration <clears throat> is nowhere near fast enough. It's just not happening. And if you look over the last um, uh, decade or, or even the last few years, higher prices have not really incentivized the sort of new exploration that you would normally uh, see. Secondly, many companies are, are taking the easy way out. They're taking the, the shareholder friendly way out, perhaps overly influenced by um, major superannuation funds, but they're looking to extend the mine life of existing assets or they're looking to acquire other assets. And that does nothing to increase the overall size of the pie. It just rearranges the deck chairs. And we need a very substantial increase in the total amount of, of resource, of critical minerals that are developed. Next, there is too much government regulation and, um, and ESG impacts as well, the, the, uh, the impacts of ESG activists um, who want the energy transition desperately but don't want the mining that is going to allow that to happen. And if you look at government regulation, we've, we've now got um, a new uh, Heritage Act in Western Australia that almost certainly will make projects far more costly and will delay them. And on the East Coast, you've only got to look at the government intervention in the, um, in the gas and coal sectors. So government regulation is getting in the way of what needs to be done. Next, there is insufficient skilled labour for all of the projects that are currently under development to, to get up in a timely fashion. It, it just doesn't exist. Too many people have left the industry and not enough have come into the industry. Next, pro commodity prices are not high enough at these levels to incentivise the exploration that's needed because companies can take the easy way out. They can extend the mine life or acquire when they look at the costs and the risks of developing new assets, it's the prices of commodities just aren't high enough to justify it. So whichever way you carve it, commodity prices are set to move progressively higher throughout the remainder of this decade. And for companies that are, that are well managed with world's class assets, that means greater profit margins. So hopefully that can reset everybody's expectations about the opportunity set which is in critical minerals um, commodity stocks. So what does that actually mean for 
stocks in that in that area. <clears throat> I need to make a couple of key points that that many I get many questions on this where there's confusion amongst investors because good news is often met with a share price decline on the day and bad news is often met with a share price rise on the day and everyone's just left scratching their head thinking well what the heck was all that about you've got to disassociate short-term news and the fundamental logic of a stock with what the share price does you've got to be able to step back <coughs> pardon me and look at um Look at the price action in a, in a different light, with a different perspective. And so therefore, having a plan based around the bigger picture view, understanding where commodity prices are going, understand what companies have got the world-class assets, um, and build a plan based on realistic expectations about the time involved, about the risks involved, and specifically about how your plan can deliver you what, what it is that you're after. The next thing to consider is just how sharp is your perspective when prices go down? Because uh, stocks that can rise many, many hundreds of percent over a period of time can and do also have significant declines and 30, 40, 50 percent declines are pretty normal. So how sharp is your perspective to withstand that and how disciplined are you in the execution of of the plan that you've developed if you've got one the next point i want to make is that there is a massive gap between doing a training course and the real dynamics of the market it, it is very very substantial and if you think that just doing a training course is sufficient to turn you into a an effective investor or trader, then you better think again, because it then takes a very significant period of exposure to the market to uh, to actually understand what it is that drives price movements. The bottom line for me with this critical minerals revolution, which is very real, is that we've probably got the biggest and most profitable opportunity set of our lifetimes. And the time to get set with a lot of these stocks is, is now. Now and over the next one to two years, a lot of these critical minerals are going to set up and provide enormous opportunities. There have been great, uh, great results already, but I think it's only going to accelerate in the next couple of years. So that's a bit of an overall perspective for you. It's just so exciting, even though I see a lot of volatility and a lot of risk during the rest of this decade for obvious reasons. I also um, feel very comfortable that this is the opportunity of a lifetime provided by this energy transition. Now let's look at American stocks. The S&P rose 2.3% across the week, so it was a good finish. The Russell did even better, up 3.6%, so we're starting to get good follow through now on the small caps, which I talked about. Uh, and first identified um, several weeks ago. Offsetting that, we've got valuation um, issues in many parts of the American market that are just plain crazy. And we've also got that happening at the same time as there are significant earnings headwinds. So we've got a real mismatch in America between the trends and the earnings headwinds and the valuations. The trends 
are saying that we're in for a terrific second half of the year. But logically, it's a bit hard to swallow. So I think there's a, there's a lot of risk out there in the market. Um, it's a matter of just being extremely clear about what you're doing. The US dollar index was, uh, was flat for the week. The 10-year yield uh, edged up slightly to 3.84, not much change there. The VIX is still languishing down um, in the, uh, the mid-13s. Um, and there's certainly a case to be made for whether um, the, the advent of weekly options is distorting the, the calculation of the VIX. In other words, is the VIX proving to be artificially low because of changes over time in, in, um, in the options market? And finally, the two-year, 10-year spread has gone even more negative. We're now um, more than 1% in the negative between those uh, those two um, two-year and 10-year bond rates. So the bond market is certainly still screaming from the rafters that a recession is, um, is around the corner. Let's jump in and take a look at some charts. Thought I'd start just again, big picture. This is going back to um, right over here on the left-hand side, back to 1950. So we're looking at uh, 70, 73 years of uh, S&P uh, history. You can see the sectors or the sections with with the green bar, marked by the green bar, are where we have um, higher highs and higher lows. So we've clearly got a trend higher. And then the, the red bars or the pink bars uh, are where the, the indices are not um, providing higher highs and higher lows. It's really just effectively sideways. Within that, it can be extremely volatile. Um, so that doesn't mean that you can't have 50% crashes in the market um, during a sideways um, period and even in a bullish period. The thing to notice here is that um, from the 50s to the 70s was nearly 20 years. The next secular bull market was nearly 20 years. The secular uh, bear markets closer to, to 12 to 13 years. And we're now only um, just a tick over 10 years into the next secular bull market. And whilst we've already had a couple of very sharp pullbacks, which were pretty nasty, the fact is we are still forming higher highs and higher lows. We are in a secular bull market. There is no other way to describe it. And so that is the big picture that I would expect for the remainder of this decade, we're going to see the S&P work its way higher. But again, within that, it's, um, there's going to be some, some pretty scary times. Let's uh, zero in to the current day. This is the S&P for the week. You can see we had a dip on, um, on Monday, but then the rest of the week was really quite positive. And that's, uh, that's looking, uh, looking very good. If we look at, the, um, at where the money flows are going, not a lot of change here. The NASDAQ and the S&P pretty much line ball for the week, but clearly the NASDAQ is outperforming and particularly thanks to AI stocks. This is semiconductors versus the S&P. Uh, the performance of semiconductors in general and NVIDIA in particular um, have really helped propel this, um, this ratio to, um, you know, to, to much higher levels. And it's still looking extremely healthy. So semiconductors 
are still providing a pretty robust backdrop to the US market. I find this chart really interesting, which is why I've started showing it uh, pretty much every week, because it does allow you to both get um, a medium term picture of what the market is doing, where the strength is and where the money flows are going, but also to zero in um, on shorter term changes, which we've just seen a very significant change in the last week or two. So no change here from what I've been showing you. This is over the last quarter. Um, technology, consumer discretionary and, um, and communication services. So the three most aggressive sectors of the market and they have been clearly, clearly leading over the last quarter, followed by finance, materials, healthcare, staples and energy at the bottom, despite doing so well in 2022. But where it gets interesting is if we come into the last fortnight and look at what's happened here in the last fortnight. Energy has really taken off. Materials have really taken off. Um, and, the, and materials in the States includes things like steel, um, aluminium um, and, uh, and the like. Uh, and obviously, you know, lithium, gold hasn't contributed a great deal, but certainly gold is in that um, in that sector as well. And then we've got we've got the rest of them all down here in a very, very tight clump. So clearly in the last two weeks, energy stocks have really started rebounding, despite, as we'll see uh, shortly, the energy price is not really doing anything at this point in time. So that's the overall uh, perspective on the money flows within the market. This is um, uh, IWM, which is the Russell 2000 for small caps. This was the, uh, the session Friday, uh, 2nd of June, so a month ago now, where the, the Russell made a very significant move on big volume. That was a, a terrific candle, great volume, and the volume then followed through on, um, on subsequent days. We then got a retracement to the breakout, and that is pretty normal technical activity. Um, but since then, in the last week, you can see we've started moving higher again. So from a purely technical perspective, uh, we've got a breakout, we've got a retest, we've got higher highs and higher lows. Um, you know, it, it doesn't get a lot clearer than that. Aussie stocks. The, the, uh, our dollar finished at um, 66, and we'll look at the currencies in a minute. Um, the S&P, uh, sorry, the ASX 200 uh, was up 1.5% across the week. The inflation data that came in um, provides a backdrop for the RBA to back off a little bit. But I really question whether it's a one-off. You know, is it real? Is it sustainable? Everybody's jumped on board and is now expecting, demanding the RBA to, to pause, and maybe they will. But when you, looked at the, um, when you looked at the actual components of that inflation figure, a lot of it came because fuel costs were down. And fuel costs can always go up again. And everyone should know that, um, that you know, I'm a, I'm a long-term bull on the oil price. I think it's inevitable because of the underinvestment. So things like the cost of housing, um, you know, still very significant. So for me at the moment, that inflation number I'm treating as a one-off and I, I want to see more follow through on that. It could easily jump back up again and change the picture um, quite dramatically. 
All right, let's just uh, check the currencies. So the US dollar, really very, very little change for the week. And that caused a fair bit of volatility in the Australian dollar. Um, but we ended up at, um, at 66. Now turning to our market, the ASX 200, we're still stuck. We're still stuck around this, this um, uh, pivot point here uh, between 70.150 and, and 70.200. And that's, um, you know, you've got to go back um, more than two years and there's really been no change in, um, in that index. And uh, just looking at the Australian economy, um, in a sign of the times, Harvey Norman last week um, have forecast that their profit's going to be down around $670 million compared to $943 in FY22. So I think there's going to be a lot more um, Harvey Normans come out of the woodwork between now and earnings season, which is, um, which is what, about four or five weeks away. Um, <clears throat> so I think you're going to see um, a fairly negative sentiment settle over parts of the Australian market. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm just um, sounding some caution about being careful in the Australian market. All right, precious metals now. Gold was down $4. Um, it's really, really is struggling down at 1920. Um, when you convert it into Aussie dollars, it was uh, it was steady at 2908. And if you look at the stocks, my preference, as it has been for several years now, is not for gold producers because I just don't trust the gold price. Uh, I can't feel confident about what the gold price is going to do, whereas I feel, you know, extraordinarily confident about what the price of copper and, and lithium and, and graphite and rare earths are going to be doing in the future. But with gold, I just don't have that confidence. So for me, gold has always been about trying to find uh, development stocks with the best assets in the world, the ones that have got the X factors, either by nature of the mineralization, the size of the deposit, its strategic value, the quality of their management, whatever it might be, um, because you can buy those stocks um, at a significantly lower valuation. And, and so you should, because they still have risk attached to them until they're producing. So that has been my, um, my preference. So let's take a quick look at, uh, at gold. Uh, there's gold on a weekly chart. So you can see we, we did uh, dip and actually dipped under 1900. So it, it's been pretty volatile, really, when you step back and look at it since August 2020. So nearly three years. And we've got a midpoint, which is around about 1875 of that price action. And we've effectively just gone uh, gone sideways. On the daily chart, uh, gold saved a bit by a little um, a little tick up on uh, on Friday night. Silver, more volatile, but equally is just stuck around um, around a pivot point and has been now for some time. <clears throat> okay, other commodities, copper 373 down a bit, nickel down a lot, down to 904. Nickel really challenged by um, what's happening in, um, in Indonesia. <coughs> that really is having an outsized effect on, uh, on the nickel price in the short term. <coughs> oh, beg your pardon. Uh, copper futures are, are telling us that metal supply is tight. And as we'll see from the chart in a minute, the inventory levels in um, in the London Metals Exchange certainly do validate that. So the outlook for copper um, is really, really strong. 
Um, it's very exciting copper. The short term, it looks weak. And, um, and we may not see any significant movement in copper for, you know, maybe another six or 12 months, but I wouldn't bet on it. I think the copper deficit, as I remarked last week, the copper deficit forecasts are being brought forward now. It was 2025. There's now some suggestions that significant deficits could start to open up at the end of this year or early in 2024. So when is the best time to buy something? It's when the majority of other people aren't looking and they don't want to know about it because it's not a hype stock. So I think that definitely applies to copper at the moment. There's, there's some unbelievably good copper development stocks that are um, that are trading at, at very, very small valuations compared to where they're ultimately going to be going. So I think there's a there's a wonderful opportunity in copper at the moment. We've certainly been covering that off in, in Portfolio Analyst uh, last week. Uh, in fact, many weeks, but last week in particular. West Texas Intermediate Crude, um, 70.45. So it's really just bouncing around. It dipped down to 67.5 uh, during the week as it did the previous week. So quite a bit of volatility in crude oil, but the, the long-term outlook for me is um, is $100 plus. But as I noted um, in the charts earlier, strong finish um, for energy stocks, the energy majors in uh, in the States. So that's, um, that's certainly looking uh, much better for that energy sector. Turning now to lithium, um, I get questions from time to time about alternative battery chemistries and what's that's going to do to the lithium demand. And again, you've you've got to be careful not to get sucked in by a news article that is not being presented in perspective. So I just want to give you what I hope will be um, a clear perspective on uh, on lithium. So sodium ion batteries, um, if they if they gain hold, will um, will reduce the demand for lithium. There's no um, question this, uh, about that happening, but they're more suited to stationary storage applications, not, um, not electric vehicles would be the first point that you would make. And there's a chart coming in a minute, which I think will put that into, into sharper perspective as well. If lithium is in large deficit, which is where we're headed, and I think everyone pretty much, um, anyone who has a realistic perspective understands that that is the case, then does it really matter if sodium ion batteries take some of the demand for lithium? We're going to be short of lithium anyway. So from my perspective, it, it just doesn't make a difference. And if, you know, if you're looking at the development of sodium ion batteries or solid state batteries and, and one, you know, worrying that the whole lithium bubble is going to burst, then you just don't have the right perspective in my view. And just hold that thought to the next uh, slide. Solid state batteries um, are highly likely to get up at some stage, but in my experience, and I've been doing uh, a lot of analysis of new technologies since 2018 when I first started Portfolio Analyst, and members have been asking questions about all sorts of different technologies. And I can say that more than 80% of them have either not succeeded or they've not succeeded remotely in the time frame that people expected them to. And these were technologies that appeared to be just absolute no-brainers. 
So I would caution about looking at exciting new technologies and just acknowledge that they take far longer and many of them just don't make it. They never get there. There are new chemistries emerging. There's no question of that, and that will always be the case. There'll always be new, new technologies, whether it's batteries or semiconductors or um, you know leading cutting-edge healthcare technology, whatever it is, there'll always be something new on the horizon. So if you're going to look at some report about what's coming on the horizon and how that might destroy the current market, you're just worrying unnecessarily because it really does. But amongst these new chemistries that are emerging, they still use lithium. And this slide coming up in a minute will, <clears throat> will certainly show that very clearly. And the final point I want to make in terms of lithium news um, is that we've now got the oil and gas majors and now looking at getting into lithium. I know ExxonMobil, for one, has been reported as um, investigating um, moving into the lithium sector. So, you know, that's sort of good news on both fronts. Now, this slide's very busy. Um, it's from Bloomberg, uh, delivered via uh, CBA. But the part that I want to draw your attention to is um, these, these little blue sections right at the bottom. This is, this is the lithium content <clears throat> by weight um, for the various battery chemistries. And what you'll note out of this is that all of them require lithium. And that, so that's one point. So that if, if, the, if lithium demand is going to shift because of sodium ion batteries or whatever it might be, does it really make that much difference? Because, you know, the lithium demand as a percentage of the total is only relatively small. And the second point I would make is that when you look at this graphic, you can understand why the price paid for lithium can go up significantly and not actually affect the overall that much. And I, for one, until I saw this chart, hadn't realised what a relatively minor portion lithium makes in, a, in an overall battery chemistry. So try and remember this chart next time you're reading something about, you know, a new emerging technology that is going to puncture the lithium demand. I, I just can't see it happening, frankly. All right, there's the spot copper chart. Uh, we managed to, um, to tick up just a little bit. There's the inventories. They've come off from 100,000 tonnes in the LME warehouse down to um, 75,000 tonnes. So that's certainly providing a, a, um, a good backdrop for copper. And I, I think we, we're going to see um, a, a very good finish to the decade. Maybe not starting immediately, but, but starting fairly soon. Uh, spot nickel um, down again last week. So wrapping it up, the second half of this year is not going to be easy. I, I really get the sense that there's going to be some, some tough times, particularly in Australia when you look at what's happening in, in retail, what's happening with the consumer. I don't think it's going to be an easy ride. I think many, many stocks will stagnate and some stocks will decline. And I'm talking about the the sort of stocks that most people have in their in their superannuation funds, uh, top top 100, top 200 stocks, I think so many of those are going to um, are going to struggle. I expect that volatility will be high. Um, there's just too many, you know, too many potential issues out there that the market can react to. So it's never been more important 
to just be clear about the process that you're using. And there are hundreds of different processes that you can use. And in my experience, hardly anyone ever does the hard yards to get clear about what they're doing. And it's perhaps because they don't really understand what their, their alternatives are and, and how those alternatives play out. And discipline execution, of course, is, is always paramount. You can have a great plan, but if you, you know, if you fall apart at the seams when things get a bit volatile, then um, you know, it doesn't matter how good the plan is. And that's one of the things that I've always focused on in my services, that's, that's providing a perspective that helps members keep their heads straight when things get, get volatile, get tricky. So as I said last week, just focus, you know, get rid of all the noise out of your head. Just control what we can control and just forget the rest. And we can control most things. Portfolio Analyst last week was, um, was a really good session. We looked at copper and, uh, and lithium uh, in perspective. We looked at the, the best opportunities that I see out there right now. Um, and also looked at how to avoid the hype stocks, the stocks that have just doubled or tripled and everybody's piling into, but also being able to grab the opportunity in those stocks. So it's knowing when to move and when to get out and step aside. And just finalising it, it's, it's really the ability to see the markets in realistic perspective so that you're buying at opportune times in the cycle. If you're playing with a crowd, if you're taking your cues from the news, then you're always, you're always going to be behind. It's going to be very, very difficult. That's it for this week. More information on the website. There's my email address and um, I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.